0: Open up God's Word to Ecclesiastes chapter nine. And if you don't have a Bible, our usher's gonna be walking to the back. Just slip up your hand. We'd love to make sure we get a copy of God's word into your hands so that you can follow along with us this morning. And if you don't own a Bible, please take this home with you. Consider this our gift to you. You know, there's no more valuable. Uh, present that we could give to you and all the world than a copy of God's Word. So please take this if you don't have a Bible take it home with you. You know when we consider our Bibles it is uh, a book that is filled with uh, many many books and many many words and some of the words are more weighty and more significant than others. There's a number of words in our Bible that are foundational and essential to its overarching message. And therefore, these words are essential and foundational in your life and in my life. Words like redemption, hence the name of our church. Words like forgiveness or faith, hope, and love. Words like kingdom and glory. We could think of of more words like this, grace and, and truth. Mercy and and judgment. Words that have such importance and such depth of meaning that to lose them, we miss a vital piece of who God is and and all that He's doing in this world. I wonder if if you have a favorite, or maybe a handful of favorite theological words. One of mine, I haven't mentioned it yet, but maybe... um, we can put the title of this morning's message up on the screen behind me and and you can see that the word that we're going to focus on this morning is joy. Joy. And I want you to think about this for a second. Without joy, listen, without joy, the message of the Bible completely falls apart. Without joy, the God that we know ceases to exist. And without joy, there's certainly no Christianity. If you think I'm overstating my case a little bit, just listen to some of what the Bible has to say about joy. The Bible says that our joy for God's glory is His intention behind the blessings that He provides for us. God is after Our joy. The Bible says that our being joyful is a necessary ingredient if we're going to serve Him properly. The Bible says that joy is inseparable from our genuine worship and our singing. It's united with our thanksgiving. It's the substance of our strength. The Bible says that joy is the right response to physical and spiritual deliverance. It's the overflow of the hope of salvation. The Bible says that our joy comes from the Lord and it is safeguarded within us by Him and no one can take it away. It's heard from the lips. It's seen on the face of those who have it. The Bible says that joy accompanies the one who is near to God and it is evoked by exposure to the Word of God. The Bible teaches that joy is a characteristic of the person who is godly. It's said to be good medicine for the soul. It is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's intended to be full and abundant and overflowing. Unless it's used in descriptions of sincere spiritual fellowship within the church. Joy is at the heartbeat of the Bible. And what we're about to see this morning is that joy is at the heart of Ecclesiastes chapter 9. And as we've been going through this book, it's, it's kind of felt like a little bit of a roller coaster ride, hasn't it? Where, you know, one second we're going in one direction, another, another minute it feels like we're going in a complete opposite direction. And, and one time we're up and then we're down and we're, we're tracing one line of thought and then something different. You know, life apart from God and, and then life with God. No point to anything and and, and meaning and significance in everything. Despair and hopelessness. Unwavering joy. It seems as though the preacher is generating more questions at times than he is giving answers and yet what we've come to see is that's the point. His writing style is to get us to think and to realize that while there's much we don't know, There are some rock solid truths that we can be sure of that will impact our lives now and for all eternity. So with this in mind from our passage this morning, I want to raise three questions to evaluate your joy in order to spur you on to enjoy the one life God has given you to live on this earth. All right, three questions to evaluate your joy in order to spur you on to enjoy the one life God has given you to live on this earth. Let's begin reading in chapter 9, verse 1. The Word of God says, But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It's the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked. To the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Pretty joyful stuff, huh? But that's the point. That's the point. And so here's the first question that we want to ask this morning. Are you preventing joy? Are you preventing joy? Are your responses to the circumstances of life and death preventing you from walking in the joy that God intends for you to have? These opening verses in chapter 9 are really a bridge between what came before what, where we ended off last week and what we're going to see as we follow in the next section. So let's just look back briefly at chapter 8 to get the context here. The preacher says, there's vanity that takes place on earth and there are righteous people, verse 14, to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this is also vanity. And I commend joy. For man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil, through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that's done under the earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out, even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. And then in verse 1, chapter 9, he summarizes this, he says, all of this I laid to heart and I examined it all and I saw that the deeds of man are in the hands of God. Make sure you hear me say this. You cannot overvalue the importance of remembering the sovereignty of God in your life. Okay? You cannot overstate the importance of the sovereignty of God in your life. We we see here in our text this morning that all people are in the hand of God. This is His world and Nothing that happens in your life or mine happens outside of His divine authority. He's in complete control. Orchestrating the events of our lives down to the finest detail. And listen, God has never once looked away from your life. Not for a second. He has never taken His hand away. He knows exactly what He's doing. And yet, Often, we want the control, right? We want to be the ones in control. We we want to tie up the loose ends. We want to be able to understand all the problems. And what we're seeing loud and clear as we study this book is that our world is not neat and tidy and explainable. And only God knows fully the big picture. But what we're seeing... Or what we're going to see this morning is that even though this is the case, we can still have joy. Quite often, the way we respond to the realities of both life and death prevent this joy from happening. So maybe we can, we can press this in and, and look at it from the negative side just for a second and see a couple ways that, that this takes place. So, so here you go. If you want to prevent joy, if you want to prevent joy in your life, if you want to stifle the spiritual fruit of gladness in your soul First, allow the uncertainty in your life to ruin your trust in God. Okay? Allow the uncertainty of life to ruin your trust in a sovereign God. The second half of verse 1 goes on to say, Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. Another translation says, Anything awaits him. What's the preacher saying here? Well, I think the best way to understand this love and hate is to see these as representative categories. Like like good things or evil things or smooth times or tumultuous times or days of, of trouble, free living or days that will be filled with hardship. The point is that none of us knows what lies ahead. And for some of you, Simply not knowing is enough to ruin your joy. Not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow is robbing you, It's preventing you from having the joy that God wants for you to have. Your anxiety over what you want to know, what only God can know, by the way, will, will not allow you to live a life with any kind of pattern of rejoicing. You're in this trap of thinking, well, what if things go horribly wrong? I mean, I, I don't know what God's plan is. What if it includes suffering? M- maybe it's not that good or, or wise. And you start to lose trust in God. And when that happens, you find your joy is gone. Essentially, if, if this is you, what you're saying is, my soul can only be glad if I know fill in the blank, if I, if I know everything will always go the way that I want it to go, if I, if I know that there's not going to be any hard surprises, if I know that I will only experience those you know, love kinds of things and not those hate kinds of things. For others, it's when the day of actual difficulty comes that your trust begin, begins to falter and your joy begins to diminish. I want to share just a little bit personally about me and my life and the things that God is teaching me. I, listen, I, I am no hero. That is absolutely for sure. Hopefully you know that. But I'm learning some things, and, and I'm seeing the Lord teach me some things. And, and many of you know, but most of you don't know, that I've got uh, a disease called ulcerative colitis. I've, I've had this for a little bit over 20 years now, and it's, it's a struggle most Days of my life. There, there are times of remission, and then there are times of, of flare-up, and I don't necessarily know when the flare-ups are gonna happen. And and so I've just I live with quite a lot of significant pain and discomfort and limitations. And this has been going on, like I said, for a couple of decades. And and in the last half of that, in the last 10 years or so, I've been developing even more um, physical health problems, if I could just say it like that. And I don't know the nature of them all. I know the symptoms and I've been, you know, the list of doctors I've seen, medications I've tried just keeps continually growing to the point where even in the last year things have been pretty difficult for me honestly and the Lord is is teaching me much through this. He's teaching me to fight with the help of the Holy Spirit to accept the uncertainty and to not let it ruin my joy. By the way, when we're talking about joy this morning. We're not talking about this, you know, chipper, you know, jumping and clicking of the heels. Life can be really, really hard sometimes. And I know that uh, for me, it's, it's relative. It's, it, m- many of you have things much more difficult, whether it's health or otherwise. And so there are seasons of deep anguish of soul. There are times of, of deep grief, and it's appropriate for the heart to ache, and so What we're talking about here is not the absence of those things, but we're talking about joy even in the midst of those things. Like the Apostle Paul, who said we can be paradoxically um, sorrowful and yet at the same time always rejoicing. And I came across, it, it just came up this week, something I was reading, and there was a quote there. I wasn't looking for it, but it said this it was really helpful especially as we think about the sovereignty of God in our lives, even when those things come that we weren't hoping for, and trusting in Him. Here's, here's what the quote is. If deliverance from suffering doesn't come, it doesn't mean God hasn't heard your prayers. It means He has a better plan. And that, that can be really hard sometimes. And yet, it's, it's a biblical message. I mean, the Apostle Paul, maybe you remember, talked about a time when he pleaded with the Lord three times to take away this, this really specific struggle in his life. And the Lord's answer was no. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, and my power will be perfected in your weakness. And I can honestly share that the Lord is, is helping me grow in this area. I've still got lots of room to grow, like I said, but, you know, if, if I, when I think about it, if I, if I think about it, I think, Lord, if, if I just had more physical health, if I just felt better physically, couldn't I serve you with more fervency? Couldn't I be a better husband and, and father? Couldn't, couldn't I be a better extended family member? Couldn't I be a more faithful pastor a more effective shepherd a a better friend and neighbor to those around me if I only just felt better and and yet God's teaching me that I'm not the architect of my life and things I don't get to drop the blueprints and just have things go that way and God's plan is is better than my plan his plan is the best plan and He has me right where He wants me. And, and when He gets me to that point, I, I can have rest in my heart. And I can realize that, that maybe my, my health struggles aren't actually hindering all of these things. But maybe they're helping in ways that I, I don't even understand. So I'm learning to trust Him. And, and in trusting Him, there's joy. There's joy. And He wants to teach that to you too this morning. Like I said, maybe, maybe for you it's a health struggle, maybe it's something else, maybe it's a relationship struggle, maybe it's a financial struggle. Think for a second. What is it that God has allowed in your life that tempts you to respond in a way that would shatter your trust in Him and derail your joy? Here's what God wants for you. He doesn't want the uncertainties of life, these These things that come in the hate bucket. He doesn't want them to prevent your joy. He wants you to trust that you're in His hand. Right? That He's holding on to you. That He's sovereign in your life. That He's never going to look away or let you go. And He wants you to be able to find joy in this. Now you might be thinking, what exactly is it I'm supposed to rejoice in? You know, if if being in God's hand means He's in control of my life, is, is this fact the ground for joy? Well, not exactly, or maybe not in its fullness. Listen, for the righteous, that's what Solomon says here, right? The righteous are in the hand of God. For the righteous, for those who've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, who by faith have had their sins forgiven, knowing Jesus is the source of joy. That you know a Savior. That you believe and trust that He has an eternal home for you. And that you have hope of everlasting life with Him beyond this life. That is the the grounds and the foundation of your joy. That even even though now for a little while, if it's necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. You can still rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. Because you have Jesus, and more importantly, Jesus has you. If you're not a follower of Christ this morning, then of course um, your joy is, is just going to plummet when the trials come into your life. For you, what you need first before joy is trust. You need to put your faith in Jesus Christ. So that you could have new life in His name. And experience the things that we're talking about here this morning. Alright, so that's one way to prevent joy in your life. Allow the uncertainty in your life to ruin your trust in God. Here's another way. Allow the certainty of your death to ruin the opportunity of your life. Allow the certainty of your death to ruin the opportunity of your life. For all the uncertainties of life, the preacher reminds us, yet again, that one thing is certain for all of us. The same event, he calls it here. Whether you're righteous or wicked, good or evil, clean or unclean, verses 2 through 6. Everybody, he says, who lives on this earth must meet the tragedy of death. We live in a cursed world, a world where it says in verse 3 that the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness. That's why we need a Savior. And he says that there comes a time when each of us must leave this world. I heard this week, I don't know if it's true or not, I think it, in my you know, assessment of, of this, it's rather impossible to count, but I heard that three people in this world die every second. Think about that. Three, six, nine. Death is a reality. Death is a sure and certain reality. Our lives are just a passing breath. And yet the preacher in this book is telling us not to despair over this, but rather to take the opportunity to live a significant life that glorifies God. Look again at verse four. It says, But he who joined, sorry, but he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no reward. For the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. And Maybe we'll start by saying what this is not telling us. It's not saying that there's no existence beyond the grave. Rather, the point of these verses is that the life God has given us to enjoy here and now is meant to be enjoyed here and now. Because you can't enjoy it later. That, that's his point. There's a time to live and a time to die, and once you're dead, you can't go back. And live your life the way you wish you would have lived it when you were alive. But Sometimes we get stuck in thinking that our approaching death and our life that's passing us by just makes it so that nothing really matters. And if we're thinking like this, then of course it's going to prevent joy. One commentator I read this week, he said, faced with the reality of death, we're made to focus on how we will live. That's Solomon's point here. Here's how we make sure we're not preventing joy. Just ask yourself, how can I serve God with the opportunities He's put in my life instead of just sitting around waiting to die? Because when you live this life for God, you'll experience the joy that He intends for you. So how can you how can you live your life more fully for God? How can you take advantage of the opportunities he's given you? Is there an area in your life maybe where you've thrown your hand up and, and just said, what's the point? And I, I thought, you know, there's a couple of areas that are just recurring in, in my ministry really to you, to, you, to this church, as, I, as I've counseled many people. There's a couple of, of broad areas that I thought of even in in. Thinking about this. And those areas are relationships and serving. And for some of you, there's a relationship or maybe more than one in your life where you've just kind of given up on it and you've said, forget it. What's the point? And God wants you to mend that relationship. God wants you to invest in that relationship. Because there is a point. And there is an opportunity there. Another area is, is service. I, I tell you this, it's, this is almost a paradox as well, but there's joy in serving others. And so if you're not serving people, you could be preventing, or I would argue you are preventing joy in your own life. There's, there's many benefits to, to your serving others glorifies God. It's, it's obedience to Him. It, it certainly blesses those who are being served. But listen, there's joy in it for you when you get your yourself, your focus, your eyes off of yourself and you serve others and you imitate Jesus. This is what it means to live a meaningful life and yet often we just don't feel like serving other people. We want to be served or we just want to be comfortable. So let me just encourage you, if, if you're not serving others, be, maybe informally or formally, if you're not serving others here on a Sunday morning, at least from time to time, you, you need to start serving other people. And you're going to find joy in doing that. You're going to cultivate gladness in your own heart when you do that. So, are you preventing joy? Are you allowing the uncertainties of life or the certainty of death to prevent joy in your life? That's first. Next, let's look to God's Word and read from verse 7. The preacher goes on to say this. He says, Go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be Second question coming out of God's Word this morning as we evaluate joy in our own lives is, is Are you pursuing joy? Are you pursuing joy? Are you actively, intentionally, purposefully getting after, enjoying life? Did you notice that first word in verse 7? What is it? thought you might say that. It's a command. It's a command. Go, yes, but it's a command. No time to waste. Life is short. Get after it. Command. Pursue joy. Savor the blessings of this life. That's what God says. He's given you gifts and He wants you to enjoy them with a thankful heart. God approves this way of living. Or another translation says He accepts it. He never says that our uncertain life or our certain death is a good cause for us to not enjoy life. Rather, Philippians 4.4, 4, he says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. And, if, and then if we didn't hear Paul, he says, again, I say, rejoice listen I know that there's some who are here this morning and you've arrived only to hear a message about joy and you're thinking I, I just don't have it and I don't think there's any way I'm ever going to get it and I'm here to tell you that that's a lie from the enemy God calls us to rejoice in Him and by His grace we're able to do so because God doesn't call us to do what He's not going to help us to do. Amen? I think sometimes we underestimate the transforming power that the Spirit of God works in us through resolve. Right? Through getting after obedience and, and doing what He tells us to do, trusting Him that He will bless it and that He will help us in our pursuit. Listen, as you think about resolving to pursue joy, we'll just let the text guide us this morning. Are, are you going to have a meal? Are you going to have a meal today? Eat your food with joy. Drink your drink with gladness and be grateful. Are you going to have a warm shower? Did you have a warm shower last night or this morning? Are you wearing clean Clothes, this is what the white garments and the oil represented. In that culture, these were symbols of refreshment and comfort. Provision from the Lord. And he wants us to enjoy these things again with a thankful heart. Are you married? Enjoy life with your spouse. This is your gift from God. Now this is a representative list. You don't want to see it as though if you don't have one of these specific things then you can't pursue joy. That's not the point. The picture painted here is is really living a life in view of celebration. The bread and the wine, the the white clothes, the oil, the husband and the wife. All this is, is pointing us to think about a wedding banquet. And there's a sense in which if If you're in Christ this morning, every meal you have now can serve as a continual foretaste of the banquet that is to come. We read about that banquet in Revelation chapter 19, but we also see something of this in the prophet Isaiah. I want to show you a passage this morning from Isaiah chapter 25. We're going to put it up on the the screen here, beginning in verse 6. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of His people He will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. In verse 9, we have this in our house above our fireplace. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for Him that He might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. What? Let us be glad and rejoice in His salvation. The Word of God teaches us that if there will be gladness and rejoicing then, then we can have, or we must have, a head start now and we can enjoy the blessings of God that He gives to us in this life as we look forward to the fulfillment of His future promises. So go for a walk. Go for a walk and rejoice knowing that Jesus walks with you. Gaze up at the stars. Visit the Grand Canyon. Listen to your favorite song and rejoice in the majesty of God's creation. Spend some time with others. Kick a ball around. Throw a ball. Share some laughs. God has given you this rest to enjoy while you wait for His eternal rest. And then listen, if you've got some hard work to do, anything, do it heartily. God has given you this task to do. Look at verse 10 again. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which... You are going. Here's what this means. God has given you one life to live and to enjoy and there's no do-overs. You can't go back and unwaste a wasted life. So pursue joy now in whatever it is you're doing. Pursue joy in whatever God has given you to do. Pursue joy in whatever gifts God has provided for you. Pursue joy in the mundane. Pursu- pursue joy in the extraordinary. Pursue joy each and every day with one eye. Fixed here maybe on what you're doing, but always, always keeping another eye fixed on eternity. Final section begins in verse 11. Solomon says, Again I saw under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. I've also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered the poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might. Though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard, The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. From this, we arrive at our final question this morning, and it's this. Are you preserving joy? Are you preserving joy? Are you pressing on and holding fast to joy? In the midst of a crazy world where things are often upside down? Are you grasping on to joy through that? What I want you to see in this last portion of the chapter are a couple of encouragements to preserve joy in your life. And the first, really, we've we've already covered it. Remember, this roller coaster just kind of goes around sometimes. It's this, cling joyfully to hope in the midst of unpredictability. Cling joyfully to hope in the midst of unpredictability. Why does the preacher come back to this? Why again, as we are now into the ninth chapter of this book, even for the second time in the same chapter, are we seeing this theme again? Simple, isn't it? Because this is our whole life. This is our life. We can't be sure of much of anything and yet we can be sure of this, things that we don't want or expect to happen are definitely going to happen. And life's not going to be fair. The fastest runner's not always going to win the race, he says. Right? The one who makes the best most God-honoring decisions won't necessarily always see immediate reward. What would seem to make the most reasonable sense? Just the opposite thing happens, right? Every single day. Unexpected difficulties and trouble come. Often at the worst possible point too, right? And so the preacher says time and chance happen to everyone. And he's not talking about just, you know, random bad luck. We, we know everybody's in the hand of God. What he's talking about here are, are unforeseen events. Literally in the Hebrew, it could be translated, happenings will happen. We're just like the fish or the bird, right? Just swimming along or, or flying along like everything is normal, and then all of a sudden, everything changes. And so since this is the case we had better not make the gladness of our souls dependent on a trouble-free life. Right? Life under the sun as as we see life on this side of eternity is just too unpredictable. So our hope had better lay somewhere else. Whatever happens. Listen, you can have joyful confidence knowing that God will one day make all the wrongs right. You can preserve your joy with hope that God will fulfill His promises. Cling joyfully to hope in the midst of unpredictability. And here's another encouragement from the text this morning. Cling joyfully to wisdom. In the midst of folly, cling joyfully to wisdom in the midst of folly. Preacher concludes this section with this story of a poor wise man who protected his city from evildoers, and yet he still doesn't get the honor that he should have received. Foolishness and sin rule the day. Here's what we need to see that this poor Wise man, though his wisdom was hated and his words ignored and his name disregarded, listen, the point is this. He wasn't forgotten by God. He wasn't forgotten by God. And those who treasure wisdom, true biblical wisdom, can keep on rejoicing because no matter what kind of madness ensues in your life, if you live wisely, God will remember you. And so we read this story of this poor man. And this is the kind of man that we want to be like. The man who clings joyfully to wisdom even in the midst of folly. Listen, when when we are like this poor man, we're like Jesus. Jesus, the wisdom of God come down from heaven who though he was rich became poor to deliver not just a little insignificant city with a few men in it but to deliver all the ransomed of God from every nation, tribe and language. Jesus who was despised and rejected by men whose wise Words were utterly rejected whose body was hung on a tree who for the joy set before Him endured the cross for us. Listen friends, you can cling joyfully to wisdom in the midst of folly. You can preserve your joy. When you think of Jesus and, and you hear the words of, of the Apostle Peter, I think we're going to put these up as well. I want you to see this. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But, what? Rejoice. Rejoice. When? Now, today. Insofar as you share Christ's Sufferings that you also may rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. You can be a poor, wise man. The whole city can be against you even though you've done much good for them. They can despise your words. They can ridicule your wisdom. But when you hold on to Christ, You can preserve your joy. And you can live this paradox of of suffering while always rejoicing. You can pursue joy in the midst of of trials, in the midst of life and death. You can enjoy the blessings that, that God has given to you in those seasons of calm or in those seasons of trouble. And all the while, Trusting in Jesus. It's good to trust in Jesus. Amen. Joy. Just three little letters. Really small word with massive theological importance. Joy isn't just something that happens upon us. Joy is is rooted and grounded in our trust and in our hope of the promises of God. Let us trust His Word. Let us, let us regard His precious promises and joyfully keep our eyes fixed on the rest and peace that He gives to us while we wait for Him. Let's pray.